0: Kevin's still pissed about the drone, so he sent me down to Tactical Distributors. I'm like the intern janitor or something. But, so I'm in the warehouse. It's pretty cool though. They got like hundreds of brands of stuff. They got like Altama, Sitka Gear, they got everything. Like check some of this stuff out. I was looking through earlier. They got like Barrel Concepts, little mag holders, you know. This one was cool. They got Solomon. So like Solomon's are normally pretty expensive, but TacticalDistributors.com Unpossible fifteen gets you fifteen percent off. It's not expensive anymore. This one they got MTHD. It's like their in-house thing. It's super cool. It's kind of like Patagonia. It's, it's like it's a new thing. Jay, it's really cool.
1: Come on, man. I told you. You want me to call Kevin?
0: No, 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 no.
2: Check it out.
3: What's up jay
0: nothing i brought my p7s for the you brought your p7s yeah
1: um such a dick move even to say that. brought the hangover
3: stuff so me and ham oh yeah me and
0: yeah you guys are on a sick one huh
1: you guys party too hard for me man what are you talking about man we hadn't had a drink in months till you got here jesus christ i mean i don't care if you did it in in my honor or what but i you know i'm i'm hurting and this says this is a I don't know. A some, liver detox? Some cannabis Med 7 stuff. I'm all about it. Well, I need the liver detox, man. My liver's been on strike for months. It smells like fucking death, though. That's weed, brother. It doesn't taste horrible. It tastes uh-huh. a little
3: like weed, though. I liked it. Did you see this uh, EOTech coffee cup they brought me yesterday? I did. I like that one. Did you, see, did you see where, it, when you pour the hot coffee in yep. there, the reticle? It lights up. Just like real life. And you got the green one. That's gotta got to be super rare. One.
1: Ooh. Not, All as right. not as many.
3: Jay, do, do you know our buddy Aaron Hampton? Um, we've met, but I don't know him, no. You heard about him? I heard about Range him. Range Rover Casanova. Yeah, yeah. Uh, big Pimpin'. Yeah. Big Ham. <laughs> uh, black and Mild. Um, uh, what What else? What else we got? Fit, 51 Cent, I think they called him as well.
1: Um, yeah, so how you doing? Can't complain. Other than, you know much drinking but uh actually man i i'll tell you this uh i know and this is the caffeine free one That's do caffeine. Know why you threw that at me i know because i i want to dominate you in this podcast so i got the caffeine and i, and Dude, I gave you, you the downer. dominate me you know all you got to do is take off your clothes and say let's wrestle and i'll let you start in the oh, fucking point it, of domination but I, I will reverse the uh i will reverse the hold so mm. we take turns i don't know i I do like uh a mocha latte Mm. listen there's there's not much you're gonna find sexier in new hampshire this is like my fourth trip out here to this great state and yeah i mean as far as like really sexy pieces of man candy i'm again at least top four
2: yeah
3: so, uh, so you didn't.: Thank like. you guys. So you didn't like the taste.: thank, Thanks, smith seven, <laughs> for the hangover stuff. <laughs> I wish you'd send some earplugs next time. Uh, thank you uh, for, for the fellow who sent the leopard sling, so if this doesn't go on my rifle, I'm sure it'll go on Jay's. And they sent us some uh, wh- what is this? I can't see without my glasses here. This is some straight bourbon whiskey. Manifest whiskey project. and gin. So, thank you. We'll probably get after that in a few minutes. And you guys, this wonderful LED sign.
1: Yeah, I love it. We've got a great uh, addition. We've got a great guy who uh, does our marketing, digital marketing. He does all of our swag and... uh, he comes up with some pretty cool stuff. Uh, we need to take a cue from you guys and do some more mystery stuff. And I think it'd be a great thing to, to get the two guys together, get your, you and your team and our guy and collabo on, on some kind of limited adi- or some kind of mystery shirt, right? Mystery shirt? We do a mystery I shirt. I like it. I love the mystery shirt, do the shirt, mystery man. shirt and uh, prize package and all that cool oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, We man. could do something
3: killer for that. We we talked about it yesterday, but you're at Eotech now, and you guys are no longer part of L three, and so you're back to your racing roots. Correct. So getting after it, then the stuff that you showed us, I am so excited about for my use for for hunting and practical stuff. You guys, oh, I can't wait for some of the new products.
1: Yeah, we we're, we're pretty fortunate. You know, one of the things that happened, I think we talked about it with uh, Jv. Um, we had a lot of ideas when we started Voodoo, and we had a really good business plan when we launched that lineup. Uh, But, you know, due to all the things that happened in corporate, we weren't really able to go after a lot of the things we wanted to go after and develop and innovate in the way that we wanted to, because innovation takes a little bit of time. It takes some effort. It takes money, money and patience little bit of patience Uh, I mean you can move fast right but you can't move that fast and you can't offset whatever you're doing but in any any case we're not constrained by that anymore so even though EOTech had a lot more products on the roadmap when they were divested from L3 than we do right now the products we have on the market or, or on the roadmap right now are really amazing and they really. Uh, fit with our heritage, and they're really an advancement of our current technology and our current space uh, in the market. Well, well,
3: let me ask you, you, s- you say heritage. H- how do you view EOTech
1: and its heritage? EOTech uh, was you know, an innovator in electro-optic technology. The original founders uh, were pioneers in holography. They developed the very first uh, helicopter gunship site using holography. And somebody said, you know what, it would be an awesome idea if we could put this on a small arms. And they started developing toward that, and that's what began the, the initial holographic weapon site, or HWS, or what most people just refer to as uh, IOTE. a Neotech. Yeah, I know. The first ones I saw, I remember, it was like competition shooting, I think. That's right. Uh, Jerry Mikulik was kind of the first, You yeah, oh, had to pick up on it and, and really shoot, he can it shoot a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I can pull the trigger a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, from I would say that our heritage is really uh, looking around the corner. You know, that's how we were founded. We were, hey, this is great technology, and for a lot of different reasons. Put it into small arms. But most importantly, it's better because it's faster. You know?
3: well, well, let's ask Connor J. Yes, sir. So, uh, where, is, where is yours? Is it on your desk? Oh, we got these mags also. Math magician, that. rocket also. scientist. And, and all these, what did yours say? Drone, something drone.
0: I don't drone. I'm not sure. I saw the picture, but drone ranger. That's
3: drone ranger. It was, yeah, ranger. Oh yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, so for you young cloners, yep. you weren't even born when Eotech came out. Like, h- how's it? How's Eotech viewed? Um, I think by, I guess my
0: generation, um, everyone likes likes Eotech. Uh, there was the uh, people talk a lot of shit about the. The, inst- the like thermal drift stuff back in the day, but uh, everyone knows. Yeah, we knows covered that a lot yesterday, yeah. and
3: I didn't even know about that, honestly. Everyone knows
0: it's been remedied. Um, I think they have a reputation of being bomb-proof. And
3: Did you know, uh, when they told the story yesterday, that so when they evaluated all these other optics and stuff as a result of that, that the EOTech that caused all this finished first in that test, had less Right. When they did an actual test for the, the thermal drip. No, it I didn't had know less that. than anything else they tested.
0: That sounds about how it would go. Isn't
3: that isn't that funny?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I mean I don't know too much about the early history of EOTEC. Like I think the earliest ones that I've I know of are like the five five ones, five five threes or whatever, but Oh geez. Um,
3: I feel like that was yesterday. Aaron, we're getting old. We are old. I just
0: I mean, those are the ones that you see on all the clones, so those are the only ones I know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah,
3: because I guess the military probably never used the original
1: big no, long the, ones. Huh? The yeah. uh, 553 was, was the really first. the first, uh, yeah. and that was the uh, SU-231. And then as we move forward, we had the SU-231 Alpha. Right. Uh, and then we've done some advancements since then. <clears throat> but, you know, when you're, when you're under... Uh, severe corporate constraints. It's always about... Tell me about it. You're making money right now. <laughs> yeah, really? So just keep doing that. Don't do the next thing. Do this
3: thing. Well, man, that's where... You, you know, I hadn't paid attention to the story I knew EOTech had been sold, and I didn't know it... I, I didn't know what was going on exactly until you told me yesterday. And that's so exciting for me, also being someone has been on both sides of that corporate thing. Um, now, with you guys having Voodoo and having a name and that, and... Having product ideas, being able to bring some of those new products to market on
1: uh, stuff you showed me yesterday. We were the only company that was consumer facing. So we were treated like a government contract company. And because of that fact. You just mean with, L3, with L3, there weren't very many companies in the portfolio. Well, there were none that were consumer facing, just us. So everything else was a contract company. So the one thing you don't have to do with a government contract company is market. So it wasn't about marketing. It wasn't about telling our yeah. story, and so we did a poor job of, of a, a educating the consumer on what holography is and why holography is better than. Oh, so you red educated dot. the shit out of me yesterday. And so we talked I about that it. yesterday, but that holds in the fact that you know, like we said yesterday. We've never received, for all the clones that we've ever received, it's only been industrial design. We've never had an out-of-China oh. actual holographic site because holography is hard. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to design. It's certainly not easy to manufacture. So, yeah, yeah. so we're exploring. in the same way as you. We have very high payroll. We've got very skilled workers who well, come in every day. Well, if you're putting lasers day. in there, too,
3: I mean, just the cost of building one. I the, mean, just component-wise has to be expensive. Like, I can understand it way better today than yeah. I did two days ago.
1: Well, dude, I love your place, and you're right here by a train track. We've got a train track uh, half a mile away from the factory in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Several years ago, we were scrapping tons of... Uh, uh, holograms as they were recording these holograms because they would just be slightly out of phase there was a slight problem we couldn't figure out why and it was because the train was coming so you're talking a (laughs) half million dollar retrofit just to that building to put to or just to that part of the building to add springs and other things it's very very precise it it
3: is so amazing when you know just the ignorance and I'm not trying to call Everyone's stupid, but the ignorance of if if you've never done it and you think, oh, well, you can buy, uh, you know, whatever, someone that would try to compete with you that just does something different, but it looks similar and they rip it off. They're not doing the R&D, but understanding when you're putting new technology or even existing technology, but into small arms, so you're having to put it in a different envelope and do all the things that are critical for that like what it actually takes. I mean, I, I can't imagine, I don't know how many employees we have now, but, um, it's a small percentage that are engineers and it's probably two thirds of Adam's headache, you know, dealing with that. I mean, but it's such a critical part of the business. Sure. If you want to be innovative. Yeah. The, the shit that you go through to do it that people don't even realize just because this looks like something else well, yeah. on the outside.
1: Yeah. And if you've got to deal with, uh, you know, you, you, when you're the size of, of uh, well, the size that Q is getting to the portfolio that you're creating, uh, the advances that you want to take, you start bringing on, you know, product management and uh, at some point, you know, a sales team. And so now you have all these conflicting priorities. Hey, we, we need to make money to, to continue this yeah. thing forward, but we've got to service our customers with innovation and the newest and latest. And so you've got your salespeople who are telling you the voice of the customer. This is what the consumer wants. This is what they want. And then you've got uh, engineers saying, you know, we want to do it like this. And then you've got product management that's kind of caught in the middle saying this, this where it is becomes the way to so, do it.
3: It's such a critical job in an innovative company.
1: And that's the part where I think a lot of people lose track of it, you know. Um, Or a lot of the consumers lose track of the difficulty and the expense that comes in with it to figure out the right route to go and then develop the right system that's 100% foolproof. As
3: time's gone on, I understand that a a lot of what I did without knowing it was product management Mm -hmm. because, yeah, you got the engineers. And it's like I'll tell Ethan, who I think is one of the best engineers in our industry, but, like, he can't pick a product that anybody's going to want. Like, he just can't. He doesn't understand it. But if you give him some parameters, he can develop the best thing. And so I think that's something I did all the time and then was good at the marketing. But, yeah, w- with EOTech or any of these companies, it, it's a tough one. You know, being at SIG and being at Remington, like who drives what you produce? Right. And who can understand when engineers are, like, too far off the reservation and they want to do something that nobody's going to want, even though it'll be super cool? Who cares? Right. And, then, and, and then I, with sales or product management – I do not respect and I don't like when guys just all they do is key in on what your competitors are doing. And we have to feel that. And I've fallen victim to that a lot myself doing it with just being so competitive and wanting to crush others. And there is a balance. Like sometimes you want to compete in this space where there are, you know, there's a market for it and your competitors, you know, have the market share and and then sometimes it just doesn't make any sense for you to do that and it doesn't support the mission of trying to be innovative and do those things and the balance sounds like you guys are in a spot where we are it's like the balance of production and maintaining the existing customer base and an incredible product that you've got but what what's the next generation exactly and i saw that with voodoo with some stuff you showed me you guys have great products which we've endorsed that five to 25 is an awesome product but like i said yesterday for me, for my use case most of the time, like, I don't go to the range with the dudes and shoot 1,000 yards a ton. Like, I just, I don't right. really do it. It's it's not my thing. I love doing it, but it's not really my thing currently. And if I've got that kind of time, I want to go hunt or, or prep for a hunt. Sure. But that's an awesome optic. But like I said to you yesterday, like, I want to go below five power if I'm on a hunt. Right. And, you know, you guys did something incredible with the size uh, uh, of that scope. But if that were in a 2 to 20 or a one and a half to 17 or whatever it could be, oh, that would be an awesome hunting you product. Know,
1: when, we, when we launch our next generation holographic sight, right, when that thing is buttoned up, ready to go, and we launch it, we're, we can bring that to the market and not have to feel as though we need to educate the consumer or prove a damn thing. We are we were the pioneers of holography, and if we say it's better, I think the market space will trust us in that it's better and that it is the next evolution. Now, obviously, we can't just throw something out there and it'd be trash and they nobody No, but believing. if you guys
3: think it is, and it is, I mean, because you know the ramifications. I mean, with every asshole in the world having social media and sure. stuff now, you get called out, I mean... Look at the lawsuit with the thermal drip stuff.
1: Absolutely, and so, but we know that on holography. What we also knew is that coming into the magnified optics line and bringing out Voodoo is that we had to prove it. Like yeah. we couldn't just show up with this and say it's good and and uh, and expect our brand to be able to carry it because then we're devaluing both. So I agree with everything that. we've done with Voodoo. Um, and obviously, it didn't fall on the timeline that we wanted it to because a lot of the, the corporate uh, priorities conflicted with the way that we wanted to launch. Yeah, it was an interesting time do. for you guys to launch that, uh, considering all the stuff. Very. and But the 5 to 25 is the way it is and the power range is where it is because that was super hard to do. And yeah. our idea was to prove. Still, no one's doing it. No one else is doing it because, much like holography, it's expensive. It, you know, it's 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 a magic ain't cheap. There's not at one all. Of these you know, says that people <laughs> think those freaking uh, Keebler elves don't cost a lot, but to keep them in that fucking tree and have them baking all the time uh, and working on so your shit, it's, it's difficult. And so, uh, you'll start to see now that. Uh, we feel and the sales show that we have proven ourselves to be a premium optics manufacturer, even though we're at a much greater value. We're at a much lower price point with the same feature set and functionality as our nearest competitors. And we didn't do that by compromising quality. Uh, We did that by saying we're willing to take a lower margin because we want to put good product out there. We want to be able to innovate and we need, you know, we've got a case to prove. So you'll see... Now that we've done that, we're able to get into that more sportsman's-oriented role, that more consumer-oriented role. We figured out the challenges behind shrinking that light path so that we could get a super short 5 to 25. So now we're going to change that. And, and instead of start starting at a base of 5, maybe we start at a base of 2. And we go to a 2 to 20 that's in a the same size package with a smaller objective lens. Uh, so that mean, if somebody wants to shoot far
3: with the fix, that is... The perfect optics. Sure, because from yeah. my
1: standpoint, you know,
3: I'm very ignorant to optics, um, but I, I shoot enough to know what I like, and features are important to me. And the way I view, you know, the one to six from you guys is there's five or six, four or five in the market that are really good. That to me, honestly, I like them all. So it, if you whatever you get, those are good, and that's the way I view y'all's you know, one to six the the 5 to 25 to me is kind of a class in and of its own Mm -hmm. Um, I love the clicks I love the turrets I love the glass the size when we started looking at it you know we compared it yesterday to some others like that top rail being able to on an AR 10 or a shorter gun being able to have that optic with 25 magnification and still being able to put something in line in front of it incredible so when you showed me some of the new products yesterday it's along the lines of that 5 to 25 where, oh, shit, I will take my Swarovski off my hunting gun to have the that you're doing now. And, and I price, can't wait. The oh, price the price point. point. Yeah, because my Swarovski, yeah, I showed you that new one that I got yesterday, which I love, and it's a Z8i, and what was that, like a 1 to 7 to 13 or 1 to 3 yeah, to, like 13, 1. Or 7 to yeah, 13, no, 13 or something? to
2: 13, something like that, yeah
3: but you know it's not a tremendous size but its weight and it's got the features that I want and that power range is great for me. Yeah. But that scope, what Colin say yesterday, that scope was $3400. Yeah. Like who the
0: fuck can afford that? Yeah. That's like when um, you when you said the the potential price of the new one. I was like I'll get two. Like Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean even that Z8i which is like my favorite compact scope right now but it's really not very short. No. Um but it is lightweight. The glass light.
1: is great. They do a terrific job with the dot, better than just about anybody, I believe. And a great job with their reticle etching. I mean, there's a and it's and it's a rugged but, scope but that's gonna you know, the clicks are consistent. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean it's the, a good yeah, Their great turret scope.
3: system is good, which, you know, them designing for strictly hunting or commercial use other than a military bias. They do things like the turret that I showed you yesterday. Their mm-hmm. turret is a super cool system for the average guy. Oh yeah. Um, but that scope, I don't
1: know how much that scope a is. Lot. Probably three thousand yeah, dollars. Not more. I yeah. mean, you, no, you just eliminate ninety nine percent of the
3: customer base. Yeah,
1: that that one's significantly more than that, or, or at least the prices I've been able to find it. And okay. I'm not sure what the MSRP is, but you're going to pay more than four grand for that scope. Yeah. They're not uh, the
0: prettiest looking either. That's what bums me
1: the out. The finish it. does
3: compared to this does look yeah. like airsoft. I agree. Yeah.
0: It's just like I mean, it looks it like the Voodoo's, some of the loopholes, like the the newer companies, some of the vortex, they look modern. They look yeah. high speed. Vortex
3: has done a, a tremendous job. I will give a shout out to oh, them yeah. for that. Oh yeah. The way their scopes look, like the finish, the detail. But I always say with vortex, like I put it in the category. Uh, like their 1 to 6 to your 1 to 6, and I would use the Voodoo 1 to 6 because I think the Vortex is too heavy. Mm. Uh, Most all the other features of it, I like fine. And and aesthetically, it looks good. A lot of attention to detail. Their industrial design, I think, is very good.
1: Mm -hmm. But what do we do, right? So what do we do as as manufacturers, right? We look at, um, generally speaking, we look at what does the customer want right yeah. and what did the customer always say they wanted i want to rug it i want it bomb proof yep. so you look at uh let's take us optics right oh yeah the heaviest that. Op- the heaviest optic on the planet but uh, you can roll over your truck with it screw your rifle well, well, afterwards it doesn't matter your scope will yeah, still yeah. be there um and that vortex kind of took that route and then you you yeah. take a look at at the fix and the mini fix and the honey badger and what did you do well we're not sacrificing any of that strength. We're just telling you it doesn't have to be a brick to be strong. No, right. it was, and interesting. that's what we did. Our, Our, ours I, is just as rugged as anything from Vortex, but it's lighter y- weight. You because can we engineer. We scienced it and made sure that it was, but you it doesn't engineer have to be that way.
3: Lightweight and durable. Exactly. Heavy does not necessarily mean durable. No, uh, it I, just I, means I've learned. Heavy. To, you know, it was interesting that CEO of Taurus did the podcast. And shout out to Brett, cool guy, young guy, and. He made a couple of very interesting observations on the podcast. To him, like, uh, you know, in you know, Taurus, he knows their place in the market. He's got things to overcome. They've had some real innovative products the last couple of years. They got a little 9 millimeter that's cool. Their new little twenty-two pistol is my favorite. I don't care. And he did give me the pistol, but it's 300 bucks. Like, I don't even give me a $300 fucking pistol. But he did. I didn't even know about it, and I swear to God, I like it more than my Hammerly. It's a striker-fired wow. 16-round magazine. It's awesome. Um so if you want a 22 silence uh, pistol pistol silence drone get that what was it the TTX tactical yeah, or something yeah
0: some, I forget the name of it but it is really but cool. it's got a plate I gotta on it, so. uh, uh, I got to see this thing Oh RMR on top yeah, of it Yeah but it, but it doesn't it. reciprocate it's like on that
3: plate It's on the barrel
0: Yeah the, oh it's on the barrel that's right Yeah it's a fixed So Shout but it.
3: 16 cool. round mag and the, the it's a striker fired the trigger is phenomenal so actually Olivier who used to work at FN who did some of their pistols he's their engineer now So um but what he said was ridiculous to him, which he is understanding is like a firearm is the only consumer product someone purchases and they expect it to last their lifetime right Like you think if you have a phone for three years you feel like uh, um, you feel slighted by it you know, nobody wants a car for five years. Right. Your laptop, you got to get a new one every two years. But, like, oh, my gun, oh, I bought a honey badger five years ago and you've updated the stock. I want you to give me a new one. Sure. Like, uh, yeah, shut up. It, and so with optics, it, it is a hard thing. It's like, I think we're supposed to, uh, our consumers, we just haven't done a good job of educating them. They believe that we're supposed to future proof every product for mm. 50 fucking years. It's right. stupid. I mean, don't you want us to continue to innovate and
1: improve? You do, but you want that innovation and improvement for free because <laughs> why didn't you figure that out before you sold me one? Yeah, it's, it's right? great. And that's that. And you're right because it's not how any other industry works. And if, uh, if Ford does a 2021.5 because they figured out something that would be nine times out of ten, it's either safety-related or more cost-effective yeah. for them – uh, but immediately, if you want it, you are, you automatically know you've got to go buy a new truck. Can you, you imagine? don't feel like you've got to call Ford and say, give me that.
3: Aaron Hampton's 1996 Rolls Royce. If you take it in and you want them to put the current engine and interior in your car.
1: I, I mean, I, I, mine, you see, you're confused because it was just the Rolls Royce front grill. Oh, oh, you got it on your, on your Chrysler and, 300? And, and, yeah. and what... What? And <laughs> No, that's my fake Bentley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got so it confused. confused. But you imagine, like, I thought about that the
3: other day when someone was giving me shit about wanting, like, our latest mm-hmm. stock for a gun they bought in 2018. And it's like, well, what if I took my... You know, 2014 nine eleven 11 Porsche and said, "Hey, fuck you guys! Put the new engine in this."
1: No, let's look okay. At look at it. The <laughs> Give other us a hundred thousand dollars. Look, look at it the other way. What if you went to the Porsche dealership right now and the 2021 was still a 2014? How pissed would you be then, or would you even buy it? Like we, we know we the way I think about those things, but in the gun industry, we expect it for free. Yeah, yeah. I guess I would be, and it, it still costs. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, if everybody else is progressing, but it's the same damn car from seven years or ago. Or when people are not going to buy it, that.
3: Everybody used to want nine eleven owners because they're. And I, I don't have a nine eleven, but I have had one. But I was going to say, I'm sure you've
1: had one. Yeah, there's, but there's I, a reason I'm not, you don't
3: have. I'm one. not super into it, and I would actually have one now, but it just seems. <laughs> It just seems douchey now. He's he go totally get one. He's invalidated go get one. everything.
1: He's no? gonna go no. get one. No, no, I want, no, well, but
3: but like if no one would ever see me drive it or whatever, I would go get one <laughs> because like I love the car it's and like it's super. Corvette. It's super cool. Oh, the new Corvette. I hate to admit it is such a great me too. looking uh, car. I hate
0: Corvette. Oh, me too. I saw one yesterday near the shop, and I was like, yeah. "All right, I, I got
1: to tell you, I got a call yesterday. The only phone call that I took while I was here yesterday. You getting a new vet? Somebody just declined one. So now I gotta make a decision. How much is a new one? Uh so with the markup, and this is just a basic lt one, it'll be eighty-three. Such a value. That's a huge value. And the use was 100000 dollars right but now. Yeah. yeah, it's a fifteen thousand dollar markup from the, so the Atlanta dealers are doing ten thousand. My nine
3: eleven was more than that twenty years ago. But
1: you're going
0: drive a Corvette.
1: And it's dude, and I'm gonna put that, that I'm gonna one. scratch this itch. I'm gonna drive about two thousand miles on it and then and then that's what, that's what all you uh, Army uh, guys yeah. do rolexes and corvettes man no i keep my watches and until something yeah. is shiny well, I, I i don't know where we were with any of that but yeah. um well we were talking about development and the differences in it and the fact is uh you're right no other industry does do their consumers expect them to give them the innovation for free or to yeah. not update it and as manufacturers we expect that i need to entice you to buy something new anyway because I'm not making a consumable product. You know, I'm not making ammo where you're going to have to buy it again later. No, I'm building last a firearm you your whole life. that'll last you. So to make you buy another one, same I mean, thing with the HWS. I mean, and I've got EOTechs
3: on guns that are probably 15 years old. And, yeah. you know, I just don't change it because it seems unnecessary.
1: And it still works. And, and, it and will that, that does
3: to suck for you. I mean, although it's great for me, it sucks for you guys. Sure. Like, I'm going to buy something once every 20 years from you.
1: And I've got to make reasons for you to buy more. I've got to make. Yeah. Re- now, with the military, and that was kind of that was the conundrum we were in with corporate because they were contractors. Right. They were government contracting company. And we were a commercial company that happened to have a government contract. Yeah. And so we were looking at the consumer side of it, whereas they were saying, look, you're going to make you're going to sell new product as long as we've got this contract anyway. So it really doesn't matter. You don't need to innovate. You don't need to spend money on R&D. You're growing or dying, man. And that was the thing. And now we can operate that way. We can operate towards. Let's be dynamic. Yeah. Let's do the next thing. Let's yeah, stop it's all doing the it's all thing.
3: good in the hood till the military contract goes away or till they open it up and somebody else uses your technology and it pay for the innovation, and they can do it for half of what you can. Sure, like this might be
0: going back. What am I gonna do? But uh, where does the name Voodoo come from? Is it like Fubu or no? Uh, so <laughs> we buy <Foul> us uh, <laughs> JB and
1: JB and Mark and I. We are not. Um, masters of nameology oh so we we we, were, we wrote the book on nameology <laughs> yeah well yeah I mean I I love the new name though I still maintain uh my idea is better than your name the Kevin? Lbgtq. <laughs> oh
3: yeah if that's for, what it, for the new trigger literally the best trigger ever made yeah, yeah. so so go ahead and tell your idea
1: oh, you, hold on I gotta pull out the notes is it, to pull the is it out? written <laughs> like my grandpa on What a note in his butt pocket? Dude, I can't remember if at all. So <laughs> I I keep a pen and a notepad because otherwise it didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, the uh, so for Voodoo, we were looking for a name and and we were trying to figure out a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the things about long range shooting is that there's a lot of science to it, but there's also a lot of, of magic, a lot of hoodoo. And... Um, jB had come up with uh, doing it uh, you know calling it voodoo and and for the magical aspect of it we thought it w- it was you know a really fitting setup and then uh, we came up with mayhem I don't know where he I don't see a mayhem around here anywhere but oh, it was on the yeah, there yeah is. we came up with mayhem our voodoo doll and uh, you'll notice his eye is a hWS radical mm-hmm. and so we were able to go back for it and and uh, You know, Voodoo was, uh, you know, and at that point, Voodoo was born. So uh, I wish it had a fucking awesome, awesome story to it. It would be killer. But my thing was, you know, it's literally the best trigger ever, which is cool because everybody's when they reference it, they've got to say that literally the best trigger ever fucking sucked. The media. It doesn't even work. Uh, I love kicking them in the nuts. Yeah. But I'm thinking like literally the greatest badass trigger. Right. Change that. But that's LGBT by Q. Right. So, yep.
0: I'm in. And yeah, now
1: everything, I'm in. Did, now totally everything is rainbow. <laughs> and it's literally the greatest badass trigger by Q. It's a great LBGTQ. name. LGBTQ. Come it on. It is great. Where were you six months ago yeah. before I did all the packaging? <laughs> uh, trying to come up with the name for this. <laughs> so, did you? To which, no, they came up with the name for it. <laughs> we got. Well, when, when's this going to be out? So we're hoping, well, we're we're. Really confident we'll be out uh, in January and shipping the first quarter of next year on this particular product. Some of the products that you saw yesterday, uh, and a few other things that we're going into. Uh, there you go, fuck your ETAs. Uh, now we're we're really confident on this because we're we're pretty much where we need to be with it. So early next year, test. yeah. Early next year, you'll you'll get them out there. We're also working on our own line of. Uh, night vision and ancillary products uh because now that we're no longer part of l3 l3 harris uh, we don't have a, a sister company that that sells those things for us so we're going to do it ourselves uh can i publicly
0: thank eotech for uh giving some optics for the FPC raffle that we were part of with a bunch of companies we were just down in texas They. uh Hell yeah! Donated a couple optics, a five to twenty-five that we talked about, an EXPS three and a G thirty-three. You made it
3: so a blind kid was able to shoot an yeah. animal. That says a lot for yeah. Voodoo. Yep. How
1: how did uh, how did the winner uh, enjoy his prize package? He was stoked. I told him he needed
0: to cry when he I seemed gave him the like gun. the nicest kid, super man. nice kid, and oh. he brought his dad with him, which was really cool. And like
3: they had a blast. Warms my heart. My kid, he'd probably not bring me.
0: It was it was awesome. But he didn't cry. But I'm gonna. I think it's because of his his eye his situation. Eye yeah. yeah. But he was he was very very thankful and he yeah. Crushed well,
3: I, I'm thankful too. I mean, you know, us fighting for gun rights and finally getting an organization full of asshole attorneys that instead of fucking with us on behalf of the ATF will go after the ATF, keep them in check because that's the problem. As we know, with regulatory agencies, who keeps them in check from fucking with the man? You know, like I don't need them. I. I like we a, as a company, just like EOTech or any other reputable company, we want to follow government regulations and guidelines and laws, and but they also need to be reasonable and in check and aligned with our constitution. And so, shout out to FPC and especially our homie Adam Kraut, yeah, for for taking them to task. Like you, you want to start some bullshit? Like okay, well, let's just make sure that there's some checks and balances for you as well. Yeah,
0: that's the big thing about FPC is that not only do we all support them because we like what they're doing? But they're all cool guys. Like, I don't know anyone at the NRA. I'm sure they're n- real nice, but they're not. I hung out with Adam Kraut, Jeff Sylvester, and they put up
1: with all of us idiots being idiots and joined in. And they're to say Adam Kraut is one of the stellar idiots in yeah, the yeah. industry. So He's I don't so think nice. he put up with it. Yeah, you know. yeah. Did he wear a flamingo shirt or some he kind of He had some tie-dye really
0: on. Yeah. yeah, he had yeah. some tie-dye on. There's I've got yeah. pictures of him and videos of him smoking a cigar and he's nods and a, a tie-dye tie shirt and stuff. Yeah, he's a Yeah, especially really for him. an attorney,
2: right?
3: And yeah, you know, I mean, he probably can never get wealthy being an attorney cuz he's too nice and too good of a guy.
0: Yeah, they're all good guys. There was everyone that showed up. If people want to be following accounts and, and companies that support all this or that are on the same page, the list goes on, but it was FPC, us, Orm Fuzzy, Doghead Collective, Supreme, uh, Supreme, Superior Auto Defense, Seer. Auto Seer, unbelievable photographer. Uh, the Uncommon he's cool too. I like super that cool guy. The Uncommon Line podcast. They I did one with FPC. I sat in on it for ten or fifteen minutes as well. Um, man, the li- the list is so big.
3: Eotech tech shootings yeah I mean
0: it is yep, it is cool
3: circles. I mean whether it's you guys giving optics for our mystery shirt winners or um when we do a gun for sock f like all all that is greatly greatly appreciated and yeah. you know we don't ever want to take advantage <clears throat> of it but yeah, yeah we, it's just great for the industry and um especially this FPC stuff like yeah. the fight against like after the arm brace stuff and the way they went after us and you know it just sucks they just decided they would screw with us on the arm brace and it's a bunch of you know government officials it costs them nothing and but you know it could put 50 families out of work and you know just on a whim not, and they have not no to mention
1: criminalizing yeah making four million people felons, exactly. felons
3: yeah. but but it also even if you don't take it that far like the reality of what happened was they shut down honey badger production for six months so that could have caused us to lay people off. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, well, never mind. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it shouldn't be allowed. Like, like you know, if you want to shut down production of our products based on you think something might not fit your guidelines and you shut it down for six months and then you then you call never mind six months later, like, they owe us money. Yeah. Like, that cost me millions of dollars. And I didn't lay anyone off because it's bullshit just because the ATF wants to pull something out of their ass. You know, I don't want to lay people off and send them home. And for them not to have accountability with that is horrible. So shout out to FPC. If you want to support a group that is defending your rights and trying to hold them accountable. And because, you know, I'm not friends with anybody that is looking to skirt uh, gun laws or ATF regulations. But you know, oftentimes it's just like not clear. How do you get an answer? Right. Yeah. And you know, they put you in a situation like, thank God we had the cash to to have attorneys to defend it and to go the six months while they were you know whatever they were doing, having us in limbo, not allowing us to ship guns that we could float you know payroll and stuff like that.
0: Another thing that they do that I think is kind of a byproduct of what their main goal is, but uh, I think they're indirectly bringing companies together that kind of wouldn't before. Like we say a lot of wild shit because we we can and we want to and we believe in it. But like uh, Surefire donated a bunch of lights to us yeah. like, to give us products. Like we've never had as far as I know, we haven't had a bad relationship with them. We've never really been cool with them.
3: I have had a not so great relationship with right. Surefire, but shout out to them. Yeah, you know, because like of because of this, under like, the bridge.
0: Yeah, because of this,
3: all these companies
0: that either <laughs> didn't know each other, didn't have relationships, whatever. Now I have relationships.
3: Yeah, I mean, a common cause. Like, I, I even hate getting political. Like, whatever. But, you know, obviously, I'm conservative when it comes to the Constitution. I believe in our rights. And it's not just the 1st, 2nd, or 17th Amendment. It's, it, it's all of them. And, you know, the idea of coming up with ways to infringe. Or, you know, from a firearms company standpoint, it, it's like a privilege. Although it should be a right to have an FFL. And they can take it from you whenever they want for anything, basically. Um, But, you know, for us being a company that wants to follow their guidelines, and oftentimes it's impossible to get an answer to a question from them, but they can come in and shut you down. And it just doesn't seem very American. It's like, okay, we've decided we have these laws and regulations. You issue us a license. We want to supply legal products to people who are, are legally allowed to possess them and not everything is black and white so we have a question for you fucking answer it right and anyway there, well there, there there's all my political
1: and, and that's the big part if it's not clear enough for the organization or the agency that writes or enforces those laws to interpret then why the fuck is it on the books yeah if you can't, can't tell me what it either. means and you don't know what it means then then it's it's nonsensical and it should be gone it, you know if it can't be clearly articulated then how the hell can it be properly enforced? It shouldn't be there. And I think that's one of the problems that I have with uh, the NRA is that for far too long there's been the story of we're really focusing on your rights and we're doing the best things that we can, but in reality they're really just you know constantly and repeatedly preaching to the choir and not gaining new Yeah, I think and, and, they lost their way. Just like
3: Wounded Warrior, for me, was a great example. Yeah, like, is. you use that name, and there is no red-blooded American that does not want to support our soldiers, does not want to support anyone that sacrifices like that. And heaven forbid you come back injured, you have sure. a disability for the rest of your life. You know, we all want to do that. But when it turns into a big organization, you got people at the top making millions of dollars. It, I mean, more times than not, it's just easy to lose your way, and that's for yeah. like us supporting SOF, which is a great organization for special operations. Um, that no one involved takes a single penny; it's a hundred percent pass through. And and not that there's not people that can enhance those organizations and get a paycheck, but it's sure. always, and I think, you know, that's what NRA turned into. And so it's great to see uh, an organization of younger people, like FPC, utilizing, you know, uh, valuing a younger, younger demographic, focused on the Second Amendment, hold, willing to take the ATF to task, not... You know, of course, us as an, uh, a a company that is licensed by them, we want to have a relationship with them, and and I understand the NRA and these other organizations want to have a relationship with them. But you know, it's it's also like your kids; like sometimes you got to spank that ass, yeah, and keep them in line. And and it's hard. That's why I hate regulatory in our country. It, it's like a way to circumvent the checks and balances of our government, and I don't I don't like that because you can have great intentions, like EPA you know none of us want the oceans to be poisoned or any of that shit but it's got to be realistic you've got to understand it and and it should their goals should align with who they're serving which are civilians and the masses and the people of this country sure you know it 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 shouldn't be to a, a government go around to prosecute people that they deem as not worthy or um that they think shouldn't be allowed to participate in something that is government-sanctioned. So, anyway, that's all. Yeah. Anyway, a young Aaron Hampton, A AA Ron, big pimpin'. That was a long time ago. Range Rover Casanova. All right. How do you join the Army? What happens? Because, you know, for me, I figured you'd be, like, the next host on, um, you know, American Bandstand or something.
1: I needed to get the hell out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So that's where you're from, Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge yeah uh, i needed to get out of there and so you southern cajun hillbilly <sighs> sort of well we you know the, the the problem is we don't have any hills no our highest point is like 63 feet above sea level so we, we have no hills so so uh, baton Rouge, cajun is is more for you your swamp dwellers that means red stick baton yeah Rouge. i mean i used to i used to hunt uh well not hunt but we used to murder uh nutra rat and Sell the hides. Oh, they got a six dollar bounty on them right now. I'm going on a hunt It was never that expensive back then. They have a six dollar bounty right
3: now and they're trying to kill four hundred thousand a year and I'm going on a hunt down there. I cannot wait. Trust
1: me, it is not a hunt. It is a murder. No. It is so much hey, more fun. I don't want than, you throwing your morality on look, me. Look, the two no no no. That that I have no problem with right. killing or murder. I'm just saying it, you you don't have to work for it. It's it's even more fun than crow hunting which to me is the most fun hunting. You, you know, they have. brought nutria
3: in um, just uh, as a source for fur mm-hmm. originally, and then uh, fur kind of went out of fashion in the 80s, and those, the population has exploded, and they're destroying the marsh. So I think it looks like uh, it looks as a result of nutria in the marshlands of Louisiana uh, you guys are losing fifty to a hundred thousand acres a year of land because of nutria, because yeah. they're eating down all yeah. the stuff in the marsh, all the vegetation
1: tree. that actually holds the sediment yeah. that produces land. So they're, we, we got to get after it. I'm
3: going to get my part, and 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 let me just say, I hope I kill a thousand. I'm I'm donating my six thousand dollars to I don't maybe hours north, maybe yeah, to yeah. FPC. I don't know. Do you shoot them with 22s Is That shotgun generally, you? but oh, I'm going shotgun. after. Them well,
1: with, we we did them with uh, shotguns. A little, but mostly it was 22 uh, single shots because would be out uh, hunting raccoons, running the dogs, and that's mm-hmm. when you'd find them. And they were profitable enough to be able to you know, feed the dogs and, and buy some school clothes. Because it's actually
3: good meat that you can eat, yeah. but uh, people think of it as like a rodent. A rat,
2: so right. it's
1: yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's a neutral rat, right? But you can, you'll can you be able to find it in, in the New Orleans area. Yeah, there's, it's white there's, meat. I mean, there's a lot of um, boudin. That is made yeah. with uh, with nutra, and a lot of women don't realize it, but the trim on their mink coats and that kind of thing, and even on some of the rabbit stuff now, is all nutra. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, cheap. it's, it's it, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean it it, it is a fantastic fur, but uh, I, mean, I just that's why they were brought here. Yeah, I, I just needed to get out of there. And the, oh, but outside of that, you know what they do with the meat beyond that is they feed it to the alligator farms mm. oh uh, so it's cheap meat for them so we used to feed the sell the hides and and then sell the bodies to um to the alligator farms and nice. and they would feed the alligator so, I mean, so you, you only got like 20 cents a pound for it but hell, i mean you know it's worth it six dollars piece now i got to do is turn in the
3: tails well, jay it, i'm getting it? after oh it's it. just yeah. turning in the tails yeah, you know, it know go it down, down on my own so I at fort it.
1: benning we were uh, it still is overrun with with hogs and you just can't kill enough of them to really change it. So many years ago, they uh I think it's like 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. they hired a guy to come in and trap all these uh hogs and I think they paid him like 50 or 60 grand and he ended up getting like 20 hogs total. So the next year somebody really amu target practice well we were already doing that to keep them off of our ranges and it was amazing but the next year mwr came in and said you know what we're just gonna take that same money and let the hunters kill them and then they bring in the tail Mm -hmm. and so unintended consequence right you're out there they're destroying all these hogs running them into the impact area so they're not a nuisance right because you can't control they breed like (coughs) pigs um but they were just cutting off the tails and letting them, Oof. leaving them lay. Coyote population exploded. Oh. Freaking smorgasbord out here. Yeah, They ran out of the 20 grand bounty uh, in like three months. So they increased it, and then they increased the uh, amount, and then they had to put a stipulation that it had to have hair on the tail because they were cutting open the pregnant sows and then Oof. cutting the tails off the freaking fetuses. <laughs> jesus <laughs> yeah i
3: guess i'd do the same yeah because yeah, they can have like
1: 10 it was 20 bucks a uh a, a tail i mean yeah. you know it, it, it was totally worth it but it did a lot i mean it obviously it didn't really control the population but it drove them out of the areas where yeah. you didn't want them doing damage and pushed them out into the impact area so Who i cares? decided out of mind.
3: yeah well all right so so you're in louisiana
1: didn't want to go to college Wanted to go to college, wasn't ready to go to college. So I decided I would join the Army. You Uh, have a family history of that? No, no, first one, just me. Uh, Ended up, uh, I ended up being a recruiter and put my brother in. So he was the the next, but he didn't love it the way I did. So six years later, he popped smoke, got the hell out. Uh, But I only joined the Army for two years because all I wanted to do was get away for a minute, gain some focus, and get money for college. Yeah. And my plan was to come back to Baton Rouge, go to Southern University, get a degree, and go live that life. My two years was almost up. I was in the 25th Infantry Division in Hawaii. Toon Sergeant comes. He's oh. like, hey, I got to do, uh, do your exit um, counseling since you're not going to re-enlist. I was like, yep, I'm not re-enlisted. And he goes, okay, well, I just got to do the paperwork. Man, no problems are. So we sat down. And uh, we go through all the list of things, and he's telling me everything about why I need to stay. And he says, OK, well, sounds like you made up your mind. Let me just summarize real quick. So uh, you're going to leave the Army doing a job you like, right? Because you do like your job. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love it. Sorry, You guys are great. OK, making good money. Yeah, more money than I've ever made so that you can go to college and get a degree in something that you don't know and hopefully get a good job that you'll like and make good money, right? I was like I see. Not in Hawaii. Not. I said I see what you're doing, Sergeant. Uh, yes, but fuck you, I'm still getting out. <laughs> and three days later, I reenlisted, and uh, I did just over 20 years. Uh, right wow. after my 20th year anniversary, I went to a meeting. And I was planning to do 26 years. I, I had no intention of retiring, but I went to a meeting, and I realized that, you know what, it's a young man's game. It ain't for me anymore. It's time for me to go. And I dropped my retirement paperwork the same day, and it was absolutely perfect because I haven't regretted retiring for one day. Oh, that's awesome. I missed the people. Yeah. I miss the team. Yeah, you had a lot of good guys. had man. a lot of great guys. Uh, and I went into consulting right after that. And I think that kind of made me miss the team aspect of it more because yeah, you go on, so you do well. a project, you it works out. Everybody's happy, but you high five and walk away. You know, yeah. and you leave the bag with everybody else. And so I missed, you know, being involved. I missed being a part of the success and the failures and how do we regroup. You know, that part. Yeah, the team aspect. I didn't think I would miss that. But I, I really miss that because all my formative years were spent in the Army. I mean, I joined the Army at 17. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, I went to basic training it, at it 17.
3: Is, it, is, it is hard. I mean, I, I know when I sold advanced armament at 35, and then, you know, being thrown out two years later. And it's like, what what did I really like about it? Because, you know, like when you're young and you're poor, you dream, oh, if I have money. And then, you know, you make some money. And it's, well, it's not really the thing you love. It, 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 it's uh, like I know now and I say it all the time. I love product. I love innovation. You know, and I love not being walked out the front door of my own place. But, uh, it's pretty simple. But the team aspect, it's important to me, you know, whether it be marketing or it's engineering or whatever part of the company. Um, you know, we've talked at length about, uh, y- y- you know, like m- my flaws and where I'm lacking and I don't love the production aspect. But a company like Q is just mandatory. So now being older, and more mature, I embrace it. and I know that's mandatory, but in a selfish way. We have to grow the company in that way. You're growing or dying. We have to grow production to fund the stuff that I selfishly like, which is innovation and marketing, which are the things that really kind of help to grow the company and right. continue a path forward. So, so well, I, I get it, but it is interesting. You don't you don't understand until you don't have it. Like, what is the thing I really liked about it?
1: Right, and that, and you know, I I we've had those conversations yeah. before in passing, in person, over the phone, and uh, what what i think is most important and it's something that honestly i don't believe you consciously understood it at aac no i had no after idea after aac you you in reflection you realized it but i think at aac what was amazing was unconsciously you developed a team that plugged the holes in your boat like yeah, you knew i definitely you, know that you didn't consciously know that you gave zero fucks about production but you consciously knew you needed people to do this and this and this and you empowered them to do the things that they needed to do and that's what kept AAC successful i
3: I think and seeing that come forward in this company because it's always a thing i I, I believe you know you look up to your idols and to me it was reed knight and it was h and k within our industry and it's well I want to do these things. Well, fuck, I'm not that smarter. I'm not that good. Well, I have to have a team. And I think it is one way I've now, uh, like a second time, been more successful than the average guys. I think I'm more open to understanding I don't like that. I don't want to do that stuff, but I have to have a team to do it. Right. And, and, and so same thing with the Army. So when I met you, you, you go, so you're recruiting. How do you end up the AMU, like in charge of those guys? What happens?
1: You're recruiting is hard. It sounds horrible. I, it, you know, <clears throat> so when you get on recruiting duty, you've got a nine-month probationary period. And um, true story, won't go into details here, but I, I almost, I, one night I nearly murdered my station commander. Real life. Uh, because I hated recruiting that much. Oh. And he was that big of an a-hole and at the time i just didn't understand it you know the one day that week we had gotten into it and he had told me you know i I told him flat out you can't make me put somebody in the army you can make me call anybody you want but you can't make me put them in the army i have to want to put them in the army he goes okay well you know what you're right go home go home we'll see you in the morning so i come in the next morning this motherfucker had moved my whole desk my entire office set up into the parking space in front of the door of the recruiting station. And I pulled up, parked my car, and was like, what the fuck is that? I walk inside, and all my shit is gone. And uh, I go, where's my desk? He's like, you saw it.
2: Like, okay.
1: You want me to sit outside? He's like, yep. So I go outside, and our lead refinement list, which is our all of our books for everybody in high school with notes on them, They're all missing. All that's sitting there is a a phone book. And For those of you who don't know, you used to get a phone book every year, really thick, and had everybody's phone number in it. And I go, where are my LRLs? He's like, well, you're right. I can't make you put anybody in the army, but um, I can make you make phone calls. But I'm also not going to let you fuck up our LRLs by being a jackass. So just start at the A's and continue. If you're not going to do a good job, you're at least not going to fuck up what we're building. So about four hours into it, it started getting hot. And I was a recruiter in Baltimore City. So here I am in bees, long sleeves, tie, all awards, sitting outside in the fucking parking lot, looking like a total jackass, Mm. calling people from uh, the white pages. So he made me do that for the whole day. And then the next day, things got better on, you know. Jay, the white pages are the residential stuff. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, the yellow pages of the business. business, I'm sorry, I forgot about that. So uh, he felt like it was all better. I was still stewing over it. But that's how much I hated it. You know, I, and I hated him for doing it. I hated everything else about it. And that night, you know, that weekend, you know, we, we had a big, big to-do. But somewhere after that, within about the next month, I realized that I was right and he was right. You know, um, I had to want to do it. I had to want to be that guy. And it was his job to make sure that I had the tools and not let me off the hook easy. You know, sometimes shit just happens and you can't make it, but you can't just say, okay, buddy, it'll be good next month because you can't be okay with failure. And the difference between recruiting and the big army is just that in the big army, you're required to be successful, but they give you every tool you need to be successful. And to be a recruiter, you had to have been successful in whatever else you were doing. But now you come to recruiting and your success or failure is based upon the decision making abilities of a 17 to 34 year old. Your success is almost completely out of your hands. And it becomes a sales sport. It becomes a contact sport. You've got to go out and you've got to do these things and you've got to qualify people and you've got to meet the right people. And one day I realized that it was very data-driven. One day I realized that my conversion data mattered, that I needed to go out and secure 34 appointments. And for me to secure one appointment, it took me asking for 12 appointments. And once I secured 34 appointments, my conversion data from appointment to contract was one in 17. So I could make two contracts a month if I could get 34 appointments scheduled. But to get 34 appointments scheduled, I had to ask for 340 appointments. So I had to talk to a lot of people. But once I figured out that it was a numbers game and it didn't matter if you said fuck you or "okay," if I just kept going down the road, I would get the OKs. And then I found my niche. I found out that I was a fucking phenomenal high school recruiter, mostly because I still looked like I was in high school. I mean, I was only 21 when I started re- in recruiting. Uh, I had what was a nice car back then, at least in inner city Baltimore. I had a Volkswagen Jetta with the two sixteens in the trunk. Like I was the man. All right. Of course he did. Of course I did. Uh, so I I never drove my government car I left it at the office and when I would go do high school visits I would show up in my car you know show you what was there uh, I had a great memory back then uh, so I could be whoever you wanted to be but not for nefarious reasons but because I was selling you an intangible I was selling you something that you couldn't see taste or touch but I you had to dedicate your future to it so I truly and wholeheartedly believe that if you were qualified and interested, that it became my job to help you join, not to coerce you to join. You were already engendered to join for whatever reasons that you said okay to our appointment. But after that, it was my job and my responsibility to help you be able to make that right decision. Once I realized that, I became a fantastic recruiter. But one day, we got a recruiter journal, which was our magazine, and on the cover of it was the Army Service Pistol Team, and they had just won nationals for the first time in forever. The AMU. The AMU. Yeah. And at that Army moment... Army marksmanship unit, the best shooters yeah. in the world. Best shooters in the world, absolutely. And I at that moment, I found out that they had been transferred to Recruiting Command. So now they were a part of U.S. Army Recruiting That's Command. That's interesting. I mean, I they guess became a marketing asset. Yeah, they're marketing. And they're very expensive. You know, the size yeah. of the AMU is about... That of a company, a light yeah. So, company. so
3: for people that don't know, so the army actively recruits some of the best shooters in the world, and so it's for the Olympics, it's for all kinds of games, Pan Am games, like whatever. And you want the best shooters, and they have a full time staff of machinists, gunsmiths, everything to provide them with the best equipment. So the best of everything, so they can, and they have their own range facility at Benning.
1: Some of the best ranges on the planet.
3: They are incredible. And, y- you know, you get guys like Robbie Johnson, Daniel Horner, Tyler Payne. I-, I mean, you know, guys that within my tenure have been there that incredible. I mean, uh, I-, I don't even know his name, but the guy that does all the wind reading stuff that teaches everyone in the world. He's the best.
1: Uh, Presley, you mean Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: Preslick, And um, teaches everyone how to read wind, you know. And so just the best shooters in the world. Absolutely. What a cool place.
1: So I decided that I would figure out how to get there because I needed a break
3: oh so you just see it on the cover of the magazine see you're on a recruiter the the and you're like oh yeah, that's I, recruiting point, I want to be there
1: well at this point I'm a station commander like I had gone from being a detailed recruiter to saying is this
3: when you got the Escalade
1: no no no. I didn't get the Escalade till I got to to the AMU oh okay but while I was out there I decided that I loved recruiting so I became a station commander which meant it was that much harder because now I'm responsible for putting people in the Army for myself, running a station, running all of the training, and managing a whole bunch of other recruiters and their success or failure. And that day when I saw that magazine, I also realized that if I was going to retire with 20 years, I was going to spend more than 15 of that in recruiting. I'm like, I'm going to burn out. That's going to be terrible. last paragraph of that story was that they did an open uh TDY period for up to 90 days, and that's how you could get a job. So I finagled my way into getting a tryout by telling my command that, oh look, I'm probably not gonna make it. Just let me go have 30 days. It'll be good. They kind of owed me one. My station was doing great. We had all just got sabers and rings. Like we were we were killing it. I had just come back from the Pentagon getting honored for uh top uh on production station commander, like I had a chip, so I cashed it in to go down to Fort Benning. Ended up spending the entire time at Fort Benning, and then I also got a letter of acceptance. Like, come back. You can do this. Well,
3: And so w- what does this do? This puts you in charge of the AMU and, and mm-hmm. in what capacity?
1: This puts me as if you get it, you can come and be the, the broke swankest, lowest shooter on the service pistol team. Oh, But you've got to get released from your command and everybody else to be able to come and do this. So I get back and uh, my commander says, you know, you're absolutely we're not going to release you to go there, you know, get back to recruiting. Asshole. Asshole. And I'm like, well, okay." And uh, that night, uh, I don't remember who because I got wildly drunk. That that Uh, seems uncharacteristic. Totally, doesn't it? At wildly drunk, but it was right at, so this was, this was 2001, uh, summer of 2001. Oh, right before 9-11. Right before 9-11, yeah. and I was on, uh, I was in Baltimore City, and my wife worked at the NSA, and we, so we lived on Fort Meade. And the line to get in Fort Meade Throughout the yeah, I've been there. It's always was ridiculous, right? and so we had went out to to a friend's house to watch a game or a fight or something, and uh, we're going back. My wife is pregnant with my youngest daughter, and we're in the line, and we've been in the line for like thirty minutes. Mind you, I'm so she's got a pee like me right now. No, I'm she's fine. I'm fucking hammered though, so. We pull, We're pulling up. We're pulling up. We're in her car. She had a Montero Sport. All of a sudden, we get rear-ended, I, and I'm mad. I'm like I'm drunk, mad, right? Like what the fuck? You didn't hit my car. I jump out, and um, as I as I look behind me, the people that just rear-ended us. And I can't say that this happened for sure, but in my drunken mind the driver and passenger were switching seats. So now I'm even more angry. But then I realized the passenger, now again, I don't know for sure they switched seats, but in my drunken mind, they were climbing across each other. The passenger is my battalion commander. The Mm. guy who told me no. Isn't that interesting? So I immediately sober enough up to not try to cuss out my commander and run over to the passenger side, which is his wife, and say, is everybody okay? Oh, hey, sir, are you all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, we're we're good. So then I walk towards the front of the truck, stop the MPs who are coming back to, to investigate what's going on, tell them, hey, it's no problem, there's not a big deal. And literally he hit our toe hitch and kind of dented theirs and was like, You're good, right? So you don't need need the MPs. You don't we don't need a report, right? No, 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 not not at all. So this was like a Friday or Saturday night. Monday morning he calls my office and goes, uh, Hey, uh, Sergeant Hampton, how's everything going? It's like, Well, it's, it, it Oh was my neck. It no, it was a rough weekend, sir. Uh truck's fine, I'm fine, but but my wife lost the baby. Oh my God. And he fucking like, I'm just fucking with you, sir. Everybody's fine. It was. not Oh, Jesus. you are a dick, <laughs> total dick. But he kind of, oh. he kind of deserved it. And he said, you know, well, you know, what, sir, that's pretty fucked up that you did that. But I was just calling to let you know that we went ahead and proved your 4187, so you can go to the Army marksmanship Unit.
3: How'd you keep it at the AMU?
1: So what happened? She go there as a bum, went there as a bum, uh, only planned to do it for a couple of years just to get a break, and. Uh, david lawanik and i think you've met dangerous dave before well he was he was our our commander there and he had a different view from everything that had ever taken place in the marksmanship unit his big issue was like i don't give a fuck about marketing i don't give a fuck about recruiting we've got guys here that the warfighter can benefit from so my goal is to figure out how we leverage you guys' capabilities and resources to make the Army more lethal. And I was like, that's fucking dope as shit, but uh, I can't do that from Service Pistol, and this is the most boring shit I've ever done with my life next to Service Rifle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's not fun. And he said, why don't you stick around? Uh, We're going to do an inaugural event for training where we... Are going to go to Iraq and teach um, something to help the war fighters, you know, do better. So we worked on a course that we ended up, you know, taking bits and pieces from all these other courses that we went through, and uh, basically, you know, high performance shooting to teach guys how to, you know, no tactics, just how do you run and drive the gun better, stronger, faster. How can we increase your lethality and therefore your survivability so we went out to Iraq did that initial course came back this was oh four we came back from that and he said hey you know I know you want to go back to Big Army but uh, how about you stand up uh, action shooting and combat training team M- be all yours and we had a few guys who were shooting action shooting as kind of an offshoot of uh, What does that mean? So, action shooting, USPSA pistol, and then Bianchi, which was kind of... So, moving and shooting. Moving and shooting. And so, but then he said, you know, three-gun was kind of just coming into its own back then. And he said, so we'll do three-gunning as well. And I kind of thought it was an opportunity to do something great, but at the same time, I wanted to make sure that it that we'd have the full support and I said well we're gonna need another range and we're gonna need more people and we're gonna need you know budget for guns and ammo and everything else and he said done do what you need to do make it successful our organization is called the home of champions so whatever you do you need to make champions (coughs) it's like done so we started the uh, the army marksmanship units action shooting and combat training team and I'm a big believer in move before you're ready. Like, I don't want to do a shit ton of planning and have a perfect plan and be ready for this. I want to know the direction we're going, and we start moving in that direction. And so that's what we did. We found a range. We took a budget. We converted that range. We built it from a range that hadn't been used since the 1950s, as a, and it was used as a BAR subcaliber range. And for less than $60,000, we converted it into what you stepped onto for the first time that was known as uh, Brinson Range. Yeah. And it was a world-class action shooting range, Bay set up. The day that we opened up, I was so confident we would open. I had set up uh, a match with um, Kay Mikulik for her to do the women's course there. And we actually opened the range and did the the first shot ceremony the morning of her event starting. That's how bad it was and I had already scheduled and taken money for the inaugural fort Benning three gun challenge, and we didn't even have a range when we did all this shit, so we were sweating bullets and building shit up until the last minute but it's been my experience that if you want to make the shit happen, especially with the bureaucracy and everything else in the Army, you just you do it and you plan it and you say what's going to happen and then you start moving in that direction and you give it enough momentum that nobody can stop it. And when we finished with the... Uh, when we got the Fort Benning three-gun match canceled, which was in uh, 2010, we were the largest... Uh, three gun match we that year we had over three hundred thousand dollars on the prize table Wow. Uh, we sold out in like three tenths of a second through online registration we were kind of the first to do that we were the first to ever have a shoot-off um, you know I think in 2010 we gave away the winner got a Rolex watch five thousand dollars in cash uh, a rifle with a tech suppressor and uh, a loophole, one to eight, like no, but uh, dude, uh, like I would rather have as the place. winner. You get like nineteen thousand dollars in cash, plus you still got to walk the prize table. Like that's how ridiculous ours was. I think in two thousand ten, we gave away forty three guns, so like forty third place walked across and got a gun from the table. Like that's how amazing the match was. Probably the only event that was cooler. Was I mean, this is you know not jerking your chain or blowing smoke, but the silencer shoot? The silencer shoot was pretty titties. The one in uh the very last one with uh, blackberry smoke, or was it blackberry? Yeah, it blackberry smoke. But it was because you tried to do too much. Tried to do too much, wasn't in control enough.
3: Big corporate that's after we sold
1: look I'm not gonna let you live on this whole wasn't in control of it I think you've got a team and you can bring people in that can do some amazing shit. yeah that can execute a vision that may not be yours but that'll end up being awesome
3: I got to get better at my job but
1: but yeah look dude you got well Adam's gone to do fucking actual work so I mean it kind of proves that the idea of having somebody else there to to watch your interest is helpful but in any case so, action shooting team was awesome. We had some great guys when we were there. I like to think that I hired some really great guys, and we developed a really phenomenal team. We were, At the time, yeah. we were the winningest uh, team uh, in the marksmanship unit. Uh, but what was really great about us is that we translated everything that we knew into courses and coursework that was designed to make the warfighter better.
3: Yeah, this wasn't just a big army. I mean, I know some of your guys were
1: training... Like the very itty bitty tip of the spear. Yeah, uh, I like to say we we trained everybody on the spear from the very very tip to the hilt. Yeah, so we were all the way back by the ball sack and all the way up where all the business happens. Uh, but ball that, sack and business. Listen, there, that's, that's, there's a shirt. You got to think that's a rare breed of individuals, and that's a rare breed of coursework where we can translate what we do into something that benefits those that are the greatest and the winningest all the way down to those that don't get enough range time or ammo time to build the kind of muscle memory that they need to go out and be as effective as possible yeah and so to be able to develop coursework that benefits both of those two groups it's pretty fucking amazing yeah, being it's able cool, to have but the people that can
3: do that ha- training. Having, I, I think having groups too that can take, okay, let's say it's competition shooting when it comes to your guys, can take the aspects of that that make sense and adapt it and apply it to like combat situations sure. to give them just a split-second advantage. That's an awesome thing. And we know like several of your shooters, whether it was Robbie Johnson or Daniel Horner or Tyler Payne, um, and there's a whole bunch of others uh, that can shoot. I mean, you know, the video of the fixed rifle uh, uh, that Tyler Payne did where, like, he shoots the thing that launches the clay pigeon with the fixed rifle and then chambers another round, shoots the clay pigeon Honorable out of the man. air. Yeah, It was insane. Like, what the hell? And that's just like a Tuesday for him. Yeah.
1: Yeah, is that like a regular-ass day. I mean, we were in Afghanistan, and he was on a team. I was coming back uh, with another team and i kid you not we sat on the range one day waiting on this this uh group to come out and i watched t-pain throw draw and shoot with a pistol 53 rocks without a miss and it got to uh, the point mean where we were it, just tired of fucking watching. I mean, there's them, so stuff,
3: you know. It's just like like Robbie at a thousand yards with the AR, like stuff that you don't even believe is possible,
1: and they do it, and they make it look routine. Well,
3: because yeah, what who who is Robbie's partner? Saint John, Saint John, Jason, Saint John. Yeah. So so they at the uh, what was the sniper competition? Which one? The the big one at Benning every so year. So there's international
1: sniper comp. international
3: sniper yep. comp. So you'd have foreign militaries and government agencies. US, like the most elite guys. Yeah, you had the best and,
1: and a smattering of of organizations that just thought they were the best.
3: Yeah, whether it be yeah, federal or the yeah. Irish army or whatever. But uh, the Irish were actually
1: fucking titties. The they Irish, were really fucking good. The Israel but uh, yeah. The Israelis were pretty good. It was like the local law enforcement um, and then like uh maybe the Coast Guard. I'm not saying but, they but, sucked, <laughs> but, <laughs> but compared to you know the very tip of the
3: spear, and they're coming in second and third to the Army Marksmanship Unit team for a sniper competition. Ooh, yeah, there's some stuff you can learn, like every year.
1: Well, yeah, but and and you know the thing about it with with uh, Robbie and Jason were that you know th- Robbie and Jason both held operational billets. Yeah, as snipers, so. Getting your ass handed yeah, both to you by Ranger then, right? Having combat experience. G- getting your ass handed to him by then is is not that devastating. Mm-hmm. But what we were what we were trying to explain, and what every team that came to us and trained, or we went out to and trained, understood was that look. Operationally, tactically, we're not going to try to tell you how to do your job, but what we can tell you is that our techniques, our methodology, and the things that we're going to show you today are going to help you be faster and more accurate regardless of the situation you find yourself yeah. at. And if you can be faster and more accurate, then you've increased your lethality and chances are you've increased your survivability. Yeah. So just give us a chance to show you what we can do. And matches oh. like International Sniper Comp, they prove that. Now, Robbie and, and Jason, again, long heritage of operational experience obviously the things that we were able to do in the marshalship unit made them even better but then you take a team like uh dan horner mm-hmm. and tyler Payne, and they go through and just mash ass from go till done I mean, destroy yeah, it's all It's funny, I mean they combers. get
3: so good that the army doesn't even want them in combat. Yeah, well, I mean you, they you don't want to lose them. Yeah, you, you no, both lose those guys resource. wanting to go into combat and they want to send them over just to train guys, sure. but don't and put you, them in combat. You can
1: be and, and that's the thing, you know, you do have to realize that there are every doer needs an enabler. You know, you can sit back and look at um, you know, Bin Laden and the and the hit on bin Laden and only one guy gets to to shoot the bullet that kills him, you know, regardless of everybody puts a couple of shots in him just to make sure. Only one guy gets to kill him. But how many dozens and hundreds of people help put him in that position, help train him to get there? Like, you need those enablers. Otherwise, oh, yeah. it's just me and you showing up somewhere going, who the fuck do we shoot? <laughs> so, s- It's not that they're more valuable, but they're just as necessary. They're just as required. And if I can take a guy like Dan and have him train 2,000 guys to be more lethal and faster, then I have made a true force multiplier. I I think it is a
3: curse of being great at something, being the leader. You know, for me, the other day, somebody at, at Q just said something like oh my god you know the company is growing we're doing these things and like they get promoted and they're in charge of a group of people at our company and they're like you know I haven't gotten to do you know XYZ the thing that they love that the people underneath them are doing in two years and I'm like motherfucker I haven't done the thing I love to do in 28 years <laughs> like that's just part of it you, you know and sometimes I mean that that's a curse I mean I remember when Daniel really wanted to Uh, Going to combat, he wanted to go to selection, he wanted to move up and within the army to a special operations group. And he's just, he was too valuable for what he was. So it doesn't matter what you want. Do you think some of that happened when uh, Pat Tillman was killed when he left the NFL and came in? And it was very high profile. That, you know, like, uh, uh, I mean, what a great American story. This kid grows up in California, he's a great patriot, he's a stud athlete he works hard he ends up in the nfl multi-million dollar contract Nine eleven happens and you know he hears the call of like patriotism quits the nfl leaves the nfl at least joins the army ends up in ranger battalion i think with his brother yep and then is killed in combat and like what a horrific story in some regards for the army sure because oh we've got this celebrity in this you know like what a great story for the army someone's in the NFL like so many kids dreams and decides to leave that after 911 to go defend his country and then he's killed in combat right well,
0: and the circumstances under which he was killed well it
3: came th- out later the army obviously didn't handle it correctly but i just wondered how much that changed like you get these individuals and it's a different it's, it's a different <sighs> You know, it's a different circumstance with Daniel Horner. He didn't right. go in the NFL and wasn't on TV every Sunday sure. and all that. But, you know, he's the best shooter in the world. And we, you know, we use him as a recruiting tool. Right. So we can't send him into combat. Sure.
1: So uh, first part of that is absolutely Pat Tillman changed a lot of the view on things. It's, it's kind of like having a um, a living Medal of Honor recipient. Right, you're never going to go to combat again. You're never going to go close to combat again because your story and your uh, your you being there is more valuable than anything you can do than anything you can do as an individual. But so I think what what happened with Pat Tillman it has certainly uh, changed the way that anyone else in that situation will be utilized inside of the army. But for a Dan Horner and a Tyler Payne, I can honestly tell you that what was what was looked at from 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 them, as a per, pers- uh, from, from the perspective of the two of them, like, let's say, and I don't want to say this fucked up, like, oh, just be a ranger. Like, that's some hard shit, especially to be uh, in battalion, not just be, you know, not just have a tab, but rocking scrolls and stereo and, and doing the work, right? Or going to selection or taking the long walk. They would be two fucking phenomenal operators, regardless of the organization they were in. Like, there's no doubt about that. Yeah,
3: they'd be good at anything
1: they do. Or I leave them where they're at and allow their impact to touch 50 or 100,000 warfighters yeah. every two or three years. No, I, I, th- I think difference. in
3: some ways it's, you know, selfishly, it, it's unfortunate for them. But sure. it's probably the right call. Right,
1: and country. it's not about celebrity in their terms. It's about how do they most effectively uh, support the it's force. Uh, it's hard to come to terms with that. I mean, I, I think, you know, for them,
3: unfortunately... You know, they're great at what they do, and we know the guys in, in these Tier 1, like, really elite assets would be good in anything they do, most likely. And sure. It, just unfortunate for, yeah, Daniel and Jason and Tyler. I, if you want the combat stuff, like, you're so good at this one thing, and, sorry. And the,
1: and the one thing you're so good at is is, uh, is you're able to tra- – so, so they're not just good shooters they're able to take that and translate it and make others good shooters. Yeah. Like, I've met a ton of great, you know, just absolutely phenomenal shooters who's like, well, how do you do what you do? Well, I put the sight on the target and I pull the trigger. Well, that's not fucking Kyle helping that guy Pat who can't do it. Mira. You Larry know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, just, just let me show you what I'm doing. Just, just do it like I'm doing it. And like, no, we've got guys who can break you down and, and make you understand what you're doing and make you better. And that's a big damn deal and that has a much larger yeah. impact. So unfortunately, both of those guys have had, to, have had to go out and get the experiences that they've wanted to in other ways without being able to be a, a assigned to those organizations and doing the things that yeah. they would really love to do. But as much as it sucks for them personally, uh, as an organization – the Army benefits for it. And I would say that because the Army benefits well, the from country it, does. the country benefits from it, and they're yeah. being utilized at the highest possible capacity. And that was a big deal for the AMU. When we met, it was because we filmed the International Sniper Competition, which was the first one that Robbie and Sa- and I just thought about this. I didn't even think about it when you said it, but the very first International Sniper Comp, I was the coach. Robbie was the shooter. Jason was the spotter. And we worked with a a group. I worked with a group uh, that was doing the filming of it for the History Channel. Okay, yeah. And so it was a show on History Channel called Top Sniper. And we needed some B-roll footage. And I reached out to Lindsey. And told her, hey, I want to bring this group out here. I never Lindsay meet met." Lindsey used to run Advanced. Oh, okay. oh yeah, that Lindsay. Um, so we the silencer shoot was coming up. And I told the the camera team, was like, hey, I think we may be able to go and check this out. I'll give him a call. So I called Lindsay. And she was like, yeah, uh, I have to talk to Kevin. But, I mean, I guess it's whatever. You guys can come out. Simultaneously, Robbie and I had designed the Takma chassis. Oh yeah, I and, forgot about that. And so we kind of finagled it to be to have a space on the line, and we knew. Um, you know I got a shit memory. Uh, from Remington. Um, oh, Jason. No, 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 not. We didn't know Jason at the time. We knew. Um, Greg Beradat Beradat. We knew Beradat and Haugen. and and those were the guys that yeah those were the guys that we knew from remington and so when we knew that remington was going to be there we said well put us on the line next to them so that's actually how we met jason shop and all that stuff and me trying to be me and see world i'm going to tell you something that kevin knows but has suppressed uh our thing with the Fort Benning three-gun match was we always had like a vendor night and then a shooter night and the the goal of vendor night was to let vendors meet up and kind of do some business in a relaxed atmosphere and oh I need a coating for this or I need sites for that and kind of mesh them all up so I was always trying to you know link people together so while we were there um, we were talking about the 2010 program because we were oh trying yeah, to get tac mod so it was the M24
3: the Army sniper rifle yep. upgrade M24 and so e it was
1: enhanced. the XM2010 program that we were toward and what we didn't understand at that point was that Remington was working with KDX for that chassis but we were trying to get them to take the TacMile chassis and they said they were and one of the big issues was the suppressor Robbie and I didn't know you from a can of paint but we were like Dude, this is the greatest suppressor ever. We've shot it. It's oh, fucking titties. You need to in. take a look at it at the Titan. Next thing you know, you and Haugen and Baradad and Shavel were all together. Oh, yeah, because I guess
3: that's before they bought our company. That was,
1: that was the meeting. That was the reason that you said Baradet's the greatest human being on earth because he made all that shit happen. Bitch, we made that happen. <laughs> we were the middleman in making that happen. So, uh, yeah, so world, you get to see the, 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 the Oxford truth. Oxford suit for so, that meeting. Then we went to Fido's that night. Oh, Funny yeah. story. We, me and Robbie. Oh, lo- I forgot about that. We looked up that. at Fado's. The silencer shoots.
3: We got the poster over there. Mm. They were an awesome time, and it was a way to connect part of the industry, and it was a big party for me, and just the way that i do business in general but it, it they yeah. were great so yeah, we went you're out right there we went to fado's that we went to Fado's. yeah we rented we that bar
1: out ridiculously drunk at fado's but that was where all of the aac and remington shit transpired we got some great footage from that we did some really cool stuff for the show uh, if you get a chance uh go on history channel online the very first season of top sniper uh that was us i mean uh, it, it's a killer killer That's episode great. So yeah, that that was what but that was the big thing. It was kind of after that that my wife was like, You know, you've done a lot of development, you've learned a lot of different things. Uh you should formalize some of this stuff. So we started our consulting company, the yes. committee consulting. So you
3: retire from there, you start doing consulting. I so I started doing consulting in oh
1: eight. I didn't retire until thirteen. Seems like you you're cheating. Yeah. Yeah. It would it would seem that way, but it wasn't. It was completely <laughs> legal. I've got uh, all the JAG paperwork to prove it. Plus, I'm retired. What the fuck are they going to do if it wasn't? So so y- you've done stuff for Leatherman, Benchmade. Our first big contract was with, well, our first two big contracts were with Leatherman and with a uh, tier one group. Cerberus. oh yeah training facility uh, yep but uh, one of the ones I was most proud of was Leatherman uh, Leatherman was not into the the mutt the military utility tool which is the tool that we developed for him and uh, it was the committee consulting but it was myself and Robbie Johnson that that, yeah. did that tool uh, they had nothing that was firearm or law enforcement or military centric and the first time I went for the meeting I walked into a boardroom with everybody sitting with their arms crossed. Like, what the fuck are you gonna tell us? They catered lunch, and all of the sam none of the sandwiches had meat on them. They were like bean sprout and vegetarian and vegemite and shit like that. In Oregon, huge tree hugging, you know, kind of kind of thing. Uh, By the time I left uh, consulting with the company, you know, they owned ARs. They had a company membership at the range down the road. They had made the Mutt. They had made the Raptor. So they were making tools that were so designed these were for tools, military. Yeah, that designed for military, had mm. some gun-specific stuff on them. Yep.
3: So y- didn't you do something for Benchmade?
1: Nope. Never no? did anything with Benchmade. No. Okay, so I'm making that up. Yep. Hey, uh, it's Not cool, though. Enough. Benchmade.
3: They
0: might be a little too woke.
1: Yeah, all those organ companies are getting all super wokey yeah. now. Uh, I mean, they're, uh, you know, the thing about it is that when you're that big, and, and not with Leatherman. I think Leatherman just hadn't been exposed to the right opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, it was no magic or anything. We just brought them the right opportunity there. And the Mutt turned out to be their uh, highest margin and highest selling launch. So, And it's oh, still wow. one of their highest margin tools right now. And, in fact, the lead engineer on Mutt, shout out to Ben Rivera, is now the CEO of Leatherman. Oh wow. uh, So, I mean, it was a phenomenal tool, and it, and it put them on a track, you know, that, that I don't think they would have been, I know they wouldn't have been on without that tool. Uh, but I think with a lot of the larger companies, it comes down to, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? How much are we going to get for sale of it? Is it the direction we need to go in? But what I think some of the companies miss by going, well, you know, this niche, isn't big enough to make a difference is that that's how innovation really occurs. It's, Hey, what road can we move down and learn? Where can we grow? And even if, even if a, isn't where we need to be C is probably going to be there, but we can't get from a to C without waiting for someone else to get to C. And then we become a me too. So how do we advance it? How do we move the ball forward? Like I have no belief that the fix or the mini fix is your final, hoorah to the bolt gun world but wherever you're going you wouldn't get there without stopping here
3: no that that's true um you know i i always say people ask like the thing i'm most proud of and it's always the next thing yeah well uh, like I, I and and i hope it's what i say on my deathbed well, like i just love product innovation and i want i don't want different for the sake of different i want different for the sake of better
2: absolutely and,
3: and um
2: you know, and I, I don't I don't
3: know if that translates to everyone, every company, but fuck everyone. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. And, you know, in starting queue or any of these other things, it, it, it's like if I say if you don't like your product from us and it doesn't, you know, meet some sort of like whatever company policy we have for a refund or a replacement, I'll buy your shit back personally. How like, many, many of you bought back? Zero.
1: exactly.
3: But, you know, it's there. I got the money in the bank account. I like send it on. Like, I ain't worried about it. But, you know, I also do it with starting the company. I was fortunate, and maybe dumb enough with Q. Like, with Advanced Armament, I felt passionately about silencers first time I shot one. And that was really my course, and I knew it, and I, everything I had to put into it, which wasn't a lot, and we grew it organically. But then I couldn't get funding. I couldn't get financing, so it had to be organic. And then by the time I could have gotten it, I didn't really need it. And, but I should have taken it in hindsight because we could have grown things faster and there would probably be no silencer co or any of these other companies would have dominated the market. But I, I did the course that I did and I thought like selling to Remington, making silencers mainstream was the right move. And in hindsight, I think to some degree it was. I think was. Remington and Surefire really made silencers mainstream and that wouldn't have happened without me selling to them. Yeah, and you needed to do that to be here.
2: Yeah. And yeah,
3: then it you hurt. really did. And like I wanted to prove to myself I could work for a big company. Didn't work. Didn't work out. And then I tried again with Sig and I only worked at Sig part time. But again, it just didn't work out like I was just not able to squish myself into their mold. And greatest thing that could have happened because I can't envision like I was very happy at advanced armament, but I didn't understand part of it. And then There were a lot of stresses that weren't necessary. So now with maturity, you know, just wisdom, being older and having that experience, I know how much I love Q and how fortunate I am with Q and how great Q is. Right. And and not it has nothing to do with me here, but what it has to do with and, you know, like any of the haters, I, I understand, like, number one, I don't need your fucking approval and I don't care. Number two, I do this selfishly and I'm fully aware and comfortable with that. But number 3, it benefits everyone. Like I want to push innovation. I want the product. I want it more than I want money. And not to say that I'm willing to live to be poor. Like I have a very comfortable life and it's fine with me. I don't want to be the biggest gun company in the world. I don't care about being the richest guy. I want to develop product that gets me excited to get up in the morning. Because at 35, I was in a position where I had no purpose to work for money. Like I had all the money I could ever dream of. And I had like three little kids and like, what do you do? You're 35. All your friends work. I didn't grow up rich. I don't know what you do with money. And so it's like, okay, well now I just take my kids to school every day and pick them up and i work some. And what's the reason? I remember my kid's mom at the time asking me when I sold the company, which I've said before, and the next day she's like, you know, I get up, in the shower, she's like, What are you doing? I was like, I'm going to work. She's like, She didn't even understand that I still was going to work. She's like, Why in the world would you still work? And I was like, Well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, just, like I'm not taking the nanny's jobs. Like, I'm just going to fix breakfast, take the kids to school. And in her mind, I understand. I think that's like most people. But for me, it was like, Now is go time. Now we have the resources to do all these right. great things I couldn't have done. And that's an exciting thing about Q because. I fell in love with silencers as a teenager. I started that. But, you know, always, like me loving HK, Knight's Armament, I want to do guns. I want to do this. And and I don't want to have my own weapon system to stamp my name on it and for the legacy of it. And I think in some degree that's sort of what's happening. But it's only because I find niches that I think need to be exploited. I think the bolt gun was one. Like, we started with the chassis back then. You and Robbie, way ahead of your time, doing the tac mod. The stock. very
1: first AR-platformed chassis.
3: Yeah, so meaning, you know, you got the grip. You got all the stuff like that. And Accuracy International had a chassis, but it was what? part of their bolt gun design. But it didn't right. really replicate anything with the AR. Right. But it started a trend and mm-hmm. it showed something that was necessary
1: and we guys shit on so hard on the internet Dude, machine everything yeah. when
3: when when it's different and people don't understand it they attack you oh yeah and you know but that's probably something where you and I have always connected having the confidence and understanding you might not get it now but i'm oh, looking yeah. ar- around the corner like you said earlier and the fix was just an evolution of the chassis thing once you guys did the chassis and then we did the MSR rifle at Remington. And whatever chassis it was, whether it was a TACMOD, mod ends up being the uh, RAX chassis from Remington, which yeah. is a Kidex,
1: Kadex, Kdex. Kadex product. Which, by the way, is head and shoulders above the TACMOD. And I think we did, uh, Robbie is the one who described it. So he said, you know what? Kadex, the, the, the uh, MSR chassis, is city girl. And TACMOD is country girl. Yours your city girl is sexy, dressed real well, got her nails done. Uh my country girl, she's a little bit chunkier, got some old boots on, but they'll both give you a damn good ride. <laughs> and my country girl's cheaper. That, that
3: that that's a song lyric I've ever heard one time. <laughs> but yeah, that you know, I mean, we I,
1: lost I, out because they could only submit one. And you got a million dollars on this one, and I've got my life savings of sixty grand on this one, but it ain't cost Remington dick. Well, they dropped us. And smart business decision. I mean, I cried for months over that shit. Yeah. And this is the first time I've said it out loud because my wife doesn't need to know about that, but she don't listen to your podcast. No way. So, uh, you know, but I mean, that was a hurting thing for us because that was our upstart. It's some of
3: the big learning. Le- best. Yeah. I mean, I think I learned it with Remington. I learned it with Sig. And it makes me comfortable with where I am now. But without those things happening and for ever since then, when, when that happened, I'm like Remington. At the time, they owned us, and Remington lived on the Model 870 and the 700. Both were 40 years old or so, 10 million units apiece. And I'm like, what's the next product? The 700's getting dated. What's the next one? And that's what, in hindsight, is what the fix was. And at the time, I thought it would be uh, an action and chassis separate like it used to be. But over time, not getting to do it then, Remington being too stubborn and too greedy to listen, uh, we didn't do it at Remington. Sig was the same way, and Sig was really a handgun company. And Ron, it was tough for him to buy off on it. But over time, then we realized, like, why do we need a separate action? And this is how the fix was born. So, you, you know, this is based on all those experiences. And and I think this did change the bolt gun game. And And sure. for me, it's not... Again, I never want to do something just to be different, but it's like, okay, where are these n- niches within the industry that uh, there is an opportunity to exploit and to do something new and innovative. And I don't think in the terms of like Eugene Stoner or, or John Browning where can develop something totally new. I, but I am good at improving stuff, and I think that's what you guys were doing, and I think that's what the fix good. Did and I'm not sure if we'll do a, another bolt gun. Like you I would will. love no. to do a straight pull You'll version. You'll do a
1: straight pull. I was just supposed to say there's no chance but you don't do a straight pull. Gas guns
3: and, and and you know I think it's the thing. Like my passion for small arms and the enjoyment that I get out of it is worth more to me than the money in my personal life. Like it's cool to have this house and stuff, and it's cool. You know I learned this too probably about the same time as we're talking about with the Tacmon stock in Remington, I was with a friend of mine and I had sold the company and he had a lot of money. And he was homegrown too. And he lived a normal life and you would never know he was worth tens of millions of dollars at the time. And he would earned it himself. And I was looking for a new car. So I got a Lexus ISF, which wasn't super expensive, but it was... And I was looking at a Mercedes AMG thing. And um, we drove by the Mercedes dealership near where we lived and I was riding with him we went to lunch together talk about we did some real estate investing and stuff at the time and uh we're in his suburban and the dude he's one at the time one of the wealthiest people I knew and um so I made a couple bucks off Remington he had 10 or 100 times what I had Hmm. and he's 15 18 20 years older than me and we're riding by that Mercedes dealership he's like you still want to get that car I said, yeah, I think so. I don't know which one yet. But, you know, either the Mercedes, the BMW, the Lexus. And I was still, I thought, frugal within my own means because, like, if I can't pay cash for it and if I don't mind losing the money, then I'm not going to buy it. And it seemed reasonable. But he's like, well, that's cool. He's like, if I was your age, maybe I'd do it. But he says, you know what's really cool? I'm like, what's that? He says, knowing that I could buy that old dealership. And he just turns onto the highway right in front of it. And you know, that uh, you know, it still sticks with me, you yeah. know, now fifteen years later, him just him just saying like, Yeah, that's cool, go get your car, but it's really cool at my age knowing I could buy the whole dealership. And you know, there is a comfort in that. But what I find sure. is that I love this stuff. And so when you showed me stuff yesterday, like some of the new optics you guys are doing and the new bleepity bleep bleep, I'm like, holy fuck, I love this because I love innovation. And that's separate from my love from fucking Aaron Hampton. It's like, I don't give a shit. You and I are cool. You could work at Tasco. Like, okay, we're cool. I would not. <laughs> but Just why. But, I mean, that optic yesterday, I cannot wait. Like, I seriously thought about how can I steal it, and you guys
1: not know. Ah, uh, you don't have to tell it; you'll get it. But, uh, but, but
3: that changes something for me in a practical sense. Not for me to say, "Oh, I got the latest, greatest. I'm so fucking cool." But this changes stuff. It gives me another slight advantage over and, what I've got now.
1: And that is the answer. Back 2010, you know, uh, myself, Robbie, huge advocates of that program. Not because we wanted to get our chassis on it, but because the entire rationale behind the M24 sniper system being a long action was that you could upgrade it one day. Yeah. And at the time 300 wind mag was kind of an emerging technology. Well, the 300 wind mag is a force multiplier. I mean, it makes the 80% shot at a, of a 308, a hundred percent plus. So you, yeah, it
3: takes you from 400 to 800 meters basically for the average guy.
1: Like, look, you know, what's the hardest part? It's, It's uh, determining distance and uh, compensating for wind. And if you're off by a little bit with a 300 wind mag, that same little bit with a 308 is off target. It's a miss. It's a force multiplier. It's an amazing thing. So we advocated really hard for that to happen because if it is the warfighter, I want them to have the best equipment possible to make them as lethal and survivable as possible. But at the same time, I look at my customers the same way. I want to give you the best for this role. You'll never see us make something that is a hundred or any company I'm involved with, but especially EOTech because I know their commitment right now. You'll never see us make something that we say is one size fits all because that's not the case. We're going to innovate for that specific skill set or mission set, and let's build it to that.
3: Well, I, I wondered for the last year or so because I hadn't seen a lot of new stuff from you guys. And, y- you know, now no more of the backstory, you guys sold, you're independent again, you're not under L3, but you came out with the voodoo line, and you have the holographic sites, which are great, but haven't seen a lot of innovation there the last few years, and now seeing that you guys can do different reticles in that that you guys are doing new products and then in the voodoo line offering stuff that no one else offers right now it lighter more better like Absolutely. oh and, 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 and that's exciting because not... that separates like vortex great company willpull's a great company Swarovski's a great Absolutely. company and they all have their strong points but to me some of the stuff i saw unless they come by and show me some new stuff they're working on, like they got
1: some catching up to do here pretty soon. Awesome, man. We appreciate it, man. But I, I, you know, and this may not make you pass, but it's, you know, just something we haven't talked about in a while. You know, I was an employee, not just a consultant, but I was an employee of EOTech when they were with L3Harris for about seven months. And when the buyout or when they divested, Uh, And the new ownership came on board. I thought that their plan was amazing, and I talked to JB about it. Uh, You know, after the after the the sale was done, uh, I got a phone call when everything was through, and on that Saturday, because that was the time when everybody who was there was either going to get a you know a letter to return or hey, fuck off, You you know we're not retaining you. And I got a letter that said, hey, come on back. And uh, I talked with JB, and I'm like, you know, for what you guys are trying to do right now, I don't think I fit. You've got a lot of crap on the roadmap, and all that stuff is going to get cut off as soon as you look at it because it was all corporately driven based on other programs that they had going, and we were just the – company that needed to push it right because it had to go commercial yeah and i'm talking 100 million dollar programs that we're gonna net a fuckle but we were being forced to do it and i said ultimately until you figure out where you're going you only need one product manager and you know me well enough to know i'm a little bit cocky and i'm quite a bit confident Mm, Um, i've heard this i know there ain't well you've seen it you know anywho um (laughs) I know that I'm in this industry. I'm a phenomenal product developer. I mean, I understand it. I speak engineer. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes, is from from Henry Ford. You know, and it and it really re- relates to the voice of the customer, where he said, you know, if I listened to my customer, they'd have told me they wanted faster a faster horse. horse. And you can't do that. You've got no. to look no, beyond. You've got to
3: smack the customers in the face sometimes. Well,
1: customers and salespeople, what they know is that this is what I can sell and this is what I can buy. So they want derivatives of that. If you want to do something yeah. you know, wildly successful and different, you've got to go a different path. And so I knew that EOTech was going to do that and I wanted to be a part of it, but I knew I didn't fit at the moment. And... We have another product manager who's the director of product management now, Mark Miller. And Mark is, uh, he's a bit of a unicorn. You know, the guy is an engineer by trade. He's designed and developed uh, holographic weapon sites. But he's also got the chops and the personality to be in product management. So it's like, I would, I'll, I'll take the pepsi challenge against any product manager in this business i know what i know i know the customers i know the products i can i can pull the trigger with the best of them i can do that shit. but when it comes to holography and being in that i would bow out to mark any day of the week you know when it comes to eotech so i told jb hey look i'm i'm gonna step back i'm gonna go back and do some consulting i'm here if you guys need me And so I did a little bit of consulting, helped them, you know, uh, consolidate the roadmap, go into what other products they were going, some of the stuff that you saw yesterday, all those things. Uh, But at the same time, I was looking for a new opportunity. I wanted to build something. I wanted to grow to something. And I had an opportunity with another gun company, FN America. So I took it and, you know, <laughs> sometimes Boy, you, do I? Sometimes you get an opportunity to see, you know, the other side of it and to see where you're at. And um, it's hard with a European-owned American company. Yeah, I think part of it is there's an there's an honest assessment to that where it's like, hey, you know, the Europeans do have their own way of looking at things and a superiority complex of we're better and we know how to do it and you'll never meet up to it. But there's also that really ugly truth of. Oftentimes, the American asset of that company doesn't necessarily hire the best people or value the best people, and they have a built-in excuse if it doesn't work. Well, oh they, yeah, you blame the fucking it Europeans them. don't listen to us. Oh, man, I can't wait.
3: Wayne Weber's coming to do the podcast, and he was the president of H&K USA for a long time. Uh, and yeah. you know, during the time that you know HK was really, in my opinion, on the commercial market just declining, and I can't wait to hear his assessment. Like, I have my own view of it, and I've heard different things, and I've known him for a long time. Um, you know, and it's probably a combination of the things. Yeah, but it it is. What a tough it's spot to be in.
1: It's definitely a combo. So, but so,
3: FN thing was just, that wasn't your cup of tea?
1: No, I mean, it wasn't, you know, they the, the, the leadership there, at least on the FN America side, doesn't, doesn't have the... Uh, is, at least on product management and product development side they don't have the experience or the understanding of the market space to do the things that they want to do and I knew that in very short time I was either gonna be a fucking pariah that got fired because you know i'm I'm the bad guy or I was gonna quit or I was gonna wake up one day and go you know what?" This fucking place is awesome. And then I was going to go out to the Savannah River and wash my mouth out with Buckshot because that's not the fucking dude I want to be. Um,
3: (laughs) There's another song lyric, Jay. You could could bounce that fucking bass to that, wash your mouth out with Buckshot.
1: I want to get up every day and fucking kill it. I don't want to get up and just be there. I don't want to get up and just be there even if we're fucking making money. You know, I want to get it, up and it is
3: it is. And I think everyone says that and, and the only ever I think the real way to know is like give
1: ever give someone that thinks that everything they've ever thought they wanted. You you yeah. may be right, but I'm going to uh, you may be right about the second half of that, but the first half you're dead fucking wrong. No. All right. There are more people in this world and by a factor of eighty in this industry that don't want to do anything more today than they did yesterday. See,
3: I just that is such no. a disconnect for
1: me. I don't understand and
3: I know it has to be true, but I don't want to believe it. Well I didn't I don't believe understand. It it, know, and it, it, I wanna it, stay driven.
1: Let me say it, like Leatherman. Uh you know, Leatherman didn't really at the time support, you know, the the gun industry but it was because they didn't know to support it, right? But everybody there was 100% committed on, on building killer tools and, and, and innovation and going to the next step. And Eotech's the same way, and there's a few other companies i worked for the same way. But there's also a hell of a lot of companies that I've worked for where it's like, dude, I can spend the next 30 years here making a great fucking rate of pay and building up a 401k, and I don't have to do shit, and that's fucking awesome. I don't care if no. we ever get any better. Yeah, it was and so hard. Hu- I can't it's do so that. Hard. No. so hard. So I lasted 10 weeks, um, which was about nine weeks longer than I probably should have been there. In fact, I probably should have never came, but I, I, I thought that it was going to be amazing. Uh, I was on a, a call where we were doing a, a charter for a, a program to figure out how to fix a really shitty trigger, and during the... The Zoom meeting I submitted my letter of resignation because it was just that fucking yeah. ridiculous uh and when I got done um the i I reached out to to j b and said, "Hey, you know I can." Continue consulting, we do something else, and then we got to talking, and the next thing you know, it was like, "Well, dude, why don't you just come back full time?" You know, we we've got an, more than enough work now, and we can do some other stuff. Yeah, if
3: they have opportunity, I can't yeah. think of and someone and better in product. And being management. with
1: that kind of team, being with the team—I mean, you and I are the same in what we want. We want to get up, and we want to innovate, and we want to do some amazing shit. I think the big difference is I can. Because of, of my experiences of what I've been in, you know, uh, it, keep in mind, I grew up in the Army, right? I grew up in an organization where, number one, you can love it all you want, but they only want you for a limited time. And number two, you're never fucking going to get rich. And you can have all the ideas you want, and if you're really lucky, you'll get a cool coin and maybe a little dangly, licky, and chewy to put on your uniform. But that's about fucking it. So whereas you found out from the Remington thing that you have to work for you. I need the same shit you need to feel productive. I need the autonomy to fucking operate. I need the 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 budget and the latitude to be able to hey, this is where the finish line is, but let me get there. But I don't need to be the guy. Like I can work for someone else. You I don't know how the fuck you would ever work for somebody else.
3: Um, no, I mean, I think if I joined the Army as a teenager, it would probably be a different story. Uh,
1: agreed. And, but, and but just we're, like we're had t- I
3: gone to engineering school, right. it would probably be a different story. We're
1: where we're at today because of our experiences of yesterday. Yeah. So we're, we're where we need to be. No, I love
3: But the passion's there, the understanding of product and wanting to push it forward. And that's the, the key. But I'm all about it. But, man, thank you for coming out I can't wait to you next level and you get something better than a Rolex watch and, and hopefully that'll be after Shot Show. One Jay, day. I'm glad you made it back. Stop staying up
1: late chasing hoes yeah. and get here more often. Yeah. And uh, remember if you chase money you'll never miss a hoe, but if you chase hoes, you can miss money.